I know that I can't survive being hit by a car, so I take a lot of care when I cross the road. Knowing your limitations reveals your actual capabilities far more than wishful thinking ever will. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Operational readiness and fitness. What a fitting topic for the new year. I'm here with John Moss, and today we're going to be talking to Mick Coop, who is a fitness specialist within EP in a variety of fields. Um, Happy New Year, John. How are you doing? Yeah, Happy New Year to you and obviously to all our listeners as well. It's great to be back with Season 2, and I think this is a very appropriate subject to kick it off with. When you think back of all of the topics that we covered last year in Season 1 of the podcast, we don't touch on fitness all that much, yet it is probably the single biggest skill and uniting factor that everyone has to sign up to, to some degree, in this line of work. And so I think it's really appropriate that we're kicking off the new season with this podcast. Because I guess one doesn't really know how to benchmark their fitness unless they're in some sort of special fitness regime with a, with a trainer um one of the only ways to work it out is if you have a problem and you have to react accordingly have you had to provide something very very physical have you had to run very far um have you had some sort of uh, physical uh, encounter um it, i mean it, am, am, I, am i looking at it the right way um how can people benchmark themselves well, what you're talking about there is is looking back, looking at the past and saying, what have I come up against and am I still prepared you know, to carry that out? Otherwise, you also have to look at it from the point of view of the worst case scenario and ask yourself, what is the expectation upon me? What is the likelihood that X, Y and Z will happen? And, you know, looking in the mirror, being really honest and asking yourself, Am I up to that? If I was in that situation, would I come through that in a way in which is expected of me? Because maybe the applicability is to the role. If you are close protection and you're visible, perhaps you need to have a different skill set or standard of fitness than if you were covert surveillance and you were, you know, doing tech or operations. Um, am I reading that right? Is, is that something we should balance in this discussion? Oh, absolutely. You definitely have to be fit for purpose. So fit for the role that you're going to do. But I, I wouldn't say that that should be at the neglect of anything else. So, you know, when you talk about maybe more tech-based or office-based roles, and you could legitimately say... I don't need to pick up a 200 pound principal, throw him over my shoulder and run with him. But then you're talking about other things such as mental health, well-being, having a, a sense of pride in your fitness and, uh, and knowing what you can accomplish and knowing that you are uh, fit and healthy will generally all round make you a more competent, more effective operator in whatever you're doing. So I, I think fitness is important no matter what we're doing. And 
it's always good to set goals and it's always good to be reaching out and pushing yourself further and and that enhances well-being but then on the flip side of that coin and i think we might get into this today with mick it's also understanding the limitations on your body understanding that you still have to be fit you have to be able to cross the line so it's no good thrashing yourself every day in training to then get to the start line and find out you're broken in some area and you can't actually perform absolutely well let's get into it let's start the new year with a bang uh hitting fitness and operational readiness head on uh, let's meet mick coop and let's really start the year with a bang And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Operational readiness and fitness. Today, I'm here with Mick Coop, who is a fitness specialist within EP. Uh, John Moss and myself, we're very, very pleased to explore this topic in this new year period it's a great to have you on how are you doing i'm doing very well thank you thanks for the invitation i tell you what a lot of people are probably thinking new year new start but what is the problem that they're trying to have a new start to uh, you know in, in in the beginning because are we saying that people are not operationally ready and are not fit uh, what's the problem you think the industry needs to solve well, where would I start with that one? Problems with the industry? I think we all know there's a few. I would like to kind of use the word fitness as a, as a clue for most of this, because you can look it up. And uh, there's obviously a lot of reference to physical, um, cardiovascular capability and strength and things like that. But I think a better one is to look at the word fitness. One of the definitions is suitability. When something is fit for X, for purpose, you know? So I think that in the cloth protection industry, another clue there would be the word protection. And uh, if you're not physically able to protect somebody, should you really be saying that you are in the cloth protection industry as a protector if you're physically not able to protect them? Very emotive subject, probably going to get pushed back on quite a lot by lots of people. But I think, you know, there's a, there's a time for honesty in this. And in the middle of a physical violent altercation, I think the uh, fake it till you make it approach is quite wrong. Okay, okay. I like that. And, and you know, what about you then? Why, why do you have such a passion for this topic? Um, well, me personally, I mean, I've been in the industry um, for quite a while, really. Um, various roles, various theatres. Um, and also, I mean, I've made it um, a sideline or maybe an actual uh, a primary role for quite a while to be in the, in the training side of things, specialising in uh, the physical aspect, um, with fitness being a byproduct, but in the actual combative aspect, the use of force aspect across the whole spectrum of using force. Um, so that's where I've, that's where I've kind of uh, thrown my hat, so to speak, for quite a long time. Um, and train many, many people from many kind of walks, many roles. And and what about the people out there who 
think that they're fit, but perhaps are not as fit as they should be. Even it, it doesn't matter the age range. Um, I, I know you're, you're in your 50s now. And, you know, what would you like them to better understand? Because obviously they think they're fit. But what about the people that just don't understand? Well, I don't, I don't know. Do these people think that? I don't want to think for people. I don't want to assume that they think that. I think quite a lot of people know they're not fit because I think certainly in this, um, in this industry, this is one of the kind of polarizing opinions that do you need it or don't you need it? A lot of people will argue for, a lot of people argue against. And I do believe there's a lot of excuses made. You know, I've heard all kinds of things from as long as I'm fitter than my principal, that's all that matters. Um, I don't need to do all that training because in the middle of a situation, the adrenaline will kick in. You hear all this kind of stuff. The bottom line is being physically fit or being able to um, participate combatively, it's always going to be a perishable skill. You know, it always is. And that's assuming that you have that skill to start with. So I feel that it's something that people should pay more than lip service to and stop fooling themselves maybe or just become honest and think, okay, I've got to know my limitations. Like I said in the preamble there, you know, you've got to work with the hand you get dealt, you know, and I don't complain that when someone points out that I would be a lousy jockey or a, or a very bad chimney sweep, I don't get bent out of shape about it. All right. So I think that if you are smaller statured, you're not physically um, uh, athletic or have the attributes, I think it's fine. You've got to realize that. Do as much as you can to work around it, but you can't just fool yourself and engage in some sort of wishful thinking, you know? Because when it comes down to being physical, there is an equality there that you won't experience anywhere else. There's no equity. There's, a, there's an equal opportunity, but there's not going to be an equal outcome, you know? You only have to look at any kind of combat sport. Those weight categories are not there to protect the big guys. So, it is what it is, unfortunately. Some things you can do, some things you can't do. Knowing your limitations, though, will expose your actual capabilities, your realistic capabilities. And there's all, obviously always or nearly always a workaround to it. But sometimes that workaround involves, you know, thinking laterally and not taking a problem head on. So I'm hearing some... Uh... Lots of talk about benchmarks there, Mick, and understanding where you're at and being able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I up to doing my job? But given that, you know, as you've just expressed there, there's a wide spectrum of opinion that people probably hold as to whether they're fit and how they measure that. You mentioned, you know, the protector that says, well, I'm fitter than my principal. And given that a lot of our principals aren't necessarily in good health, that's probably not the best metric. What would you say to those protectors is a good benchmark and a good way for them to understand whether they're at the right level of fitness and have that kind of reality check with themselves? You know, looking at the actual roles that are to be encountered, I mean, there's, there's a thing where obviously to get any answer, the first thing you have to do is look at the question. You know, you look at the problem before you try and work out the solution. So what are the potential problems that could, could arise from this? So obviously, we've, I, I've hinted upon it, the, the, there's the combative element, that is there going to be a direct physical attack? 
So that's something that hopefully is going to be rare, but you cannot rule it out. You know, we could pick up any number of case studies and it has happened. So if it has happened, it, it obviously will happen again at some point. So we can't just ignore that and we can't just push it to one side because we don't like the sound of it. That requires addressing, you know. But then you've got other things like just being fit um, and mobile and agile enough to be able to get out of a car quickly, you know, and to be able to move from A to B quickly, to be able to support a client who may have injured themselves or to be able to evacuate somebody. That's kind of important. So you look at some of the actual problems that can arise, and then from there we've got to work out, okay, these are the questions, what are the answers going to be? So we need an element of strength, obviously. I mean, there's an excellent quote by a very famous trainer called Mark Ripito, who's um, of starting strength fame, look it up. And he said that um, strong people are harder to kill and just more useful in general. And that's a quite, a, quite a cool quote, but also, you know, I, I agree with that. As I've always said, uh, an element of mobility to be able to move as designed. You know, if you can't touch your toes, you're disabled. You know, I'm sorry. If you can't get out of a car immediately or get into a car immediately, you're kind of, you're going to be a liability, aren't you? That's that kind of thing. The ability to be fairly agile. Can you change direction quickly to respond to the surroundings? Then there's the underlying thing, the baseline would possibly be uh, cardiovascular stamina. You know, the, what most people think of as being fit is have you got that kind of heart and lung capacity where you can sustain physical activity over a, a long period of time? Now, people might say, well, why would I need to go for a 10-mile run, for instance? And the answer is, well, you wouldn't. But the people who can go for 10-mile runs tend to stay alert and awake for longer than the people who can't go for 10-mile runs. And that's why military units, police units use that as a benchmark because they're not expected to go that far either, but they like to use it as a benchmark, you know? Um, to be physically robust is important, I think. I think if you're going to, you know, on a, a hostile surveillance kind of profiling attempt on you, you want that guy to uh, make a few notes about you and not disregard you, don't you, you know? If you're not physically robust, then maybe you should stop claiming to be providing physical protection. There's other things you can do, but, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, use that term quite so liberally when, uh, you know, I'm looking after this person. I'm protecting this person. And it's like, where are you, really? Because if I'm looking at you as a hostile and I approach every job like that, what do I see? I don't care what you think, because your opinion in the middle of any kind of inter interaction with me is going to matter the least. You know, your opinion of how well you can fight, for instance, to take it to that kind of extreme, matters less than the other person's opinion of how well you can fight. If you know what I mean with that, okay? So it's not about what you see looking out, it's about what the other person sees looking in sometimes. So having that kind of physical presence as well. Not that you have to be seven feet tall and, and 300 pounds, but when someone looks at you, do they see somebody who is physically capable, you know, and not somebody that I could just pick up uh, with one hand and stuff in the boot of the car? You know, do they see somebody who would be a problem? That might be enough to change the profile and the attempt on your particular principle. With many aspects of this work in being a protector, working in the security industry, 
it comes down to preparing for worst case scenarios, no matter how infrequently they may happen. But if there's a possibility that it may happen and you may be involved, then you need, you need to be able to react. Your, you know, every aspect, yeah. your training, yeah. your equipment, your preparedness, and obviously your physical fitness. And so that very much comes down to, as I heard you mention earlier, being fit for purpose. So understanding what your purpose is and getting fit to, to be able to meet those standards. So with that in mind, and, and I know I'm kind of opening Pandora's box here, uh, but what types of training would you recommend for protectors, given the, the type of job, the expectations, and those worst case scenarios? Where would you say a protector should start if they're reviewing their fitness and thinking, okay, what type of program should I take up? Who should I follow? What type of training should I do? Now, that's a, obviously a huge question, isn't it? Rather than kind of go into the, the specifics of what this program is and that program, you know, again, let's look at anything you can do is better than anything you don't do in a lot of, in a lot of ways, in a lot of regards, you know? So for somebody who is thinking, okay, I need to improve my, my physical condition here, well, then do it improve your physical condition all right now you may not have access to world-class facilities you may not have access to world-class trainers whatever but again any improvement is an improvement isn't it so it could fall down to quite simply you know how many push-ups can you do you know how long can you run for not how far but just how long can you sustain a running pace for well whatever you manage to do work on improving that you know pick anything and work on improving it Go to the gym, get on the roller, you know, get on the ski machine, do whatever you do, but just work on improving it. That's, the, you know, that's that's the best general question I can answer. I mean, I can't give you a specific answer to a general question. That's a big problem, isn't it? But a general answer to a general question, if you want to work on improving it, improving something, well, improve it, you know, pick something. I mean, as I already said, we can break it down into strength. We can break it down into stamina. Those are two big ones to do. But then we can work on the, the more nebulous kind of concepts of mobility and agility. Now, sports is superb for that. You know, you take up squash or badminton or tennis or anything like that, it's going to make you fast on your feet and basically more, more useful in moving, to be quite honest. It can get a little bit robotic lifting weights. I know that quite well. You know, that can put people off because it is so mind-numbingly boring and the only way you can make it interesting to be quite honest is to make it less effective you know you can train for variety you can train for, for, for effect but anything you can do whether you take up crossfit or you just join the local pure gym something is better than nothing take up the sport whatever get out on the streets and do some running do push-ups in your kitchen anything anything but do something yeah absolutely and I, I think one of the things that it's easy to fall into the trap of when when you're training generally but especially in protection when you might have more limited opportunities limited access to equipment and so on sure. is that we default to one area of training and then the ego might come in as well and we might get a little bit good at that area and so that's how we define ourselves and in, in, in our physical capability we all know the most common default 
is bench press. <laughs> you know, we, we every, everyone wants to be able to national chest days on Mondays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, you can never get on a bench on a Monday, and uh, and, and so maybe a better question should be, uh, what are the the, the obvious mistakes that you see people making in their routines. You already touched upon it right there. People train their favorite stuff, whereas really you should concentrate on your weaknesses, shouldn't you? If you're already good at something, leave it alone and train on something you're not very good at. People tend not to like that because we like to feel good about ourselves, don't we? So if you're good at bench pressing, like you say, people do a lot of bench pressing, generally speaking. If you're not good at squatting, or you don't, you're not good at going deep on a squat, for instance, people tend to avoid doing that and they do things that they like. The biggest, biggest thing to do is address your weak spots. Because if you don't, somebody else probably will. Murphy's Law will take care of that probably. The one thing that you have to do will be the thing that you're worst at. So, I mean, you've got to be kind of an all-rounder in, in, in a lot of regards to this. I mean, there's a buzzword in the fitness industry, the functional training. And it is a buzzword because people overuse it quite a lot but i think functional in terms of how is the body you know supposed to move um and i try and think about things like that you know but i mean to, to train i mean i like things like um on operations for instance i only want to spend about 20 minutes training because i think that's that's doable within the scope of most operations most operations for me is not a time to get fitter it's a time to maintain it's a time to knock the rust off your joints when you've been stood up all day and things like that. And 20 minutes, I think, is usable, is doable. The last thing you want on ops is to have severe soreness in your muscles, severe DOMS in your muscles, because you become disabled, basically. You don't want to risk injury. You know, the middle of an operation sometime is not the time to try and get a personal best deadlifting when you're going to pull your back out. You know, then, get, again, make yourself non-operational. And also, you're going to be thinking about, you know, have you got unrealistic equipment needs? If you only do Olympic lifting and you're stuck in the Hyatt Hotel somewhere, you're probably not going to find an Olympic bar and um, a cage in there to, to do any kind of Olympic lifting or anything similar. So you have to be realistic about what kind of equipment you need. So you've got to kind of go, and I do anyway, I go low tech on, on some of the stuff, you know? If I need a particular kind of equipment, I can't guarantee to have it somewhere. So again, I will default to a very low-tech, very simplistic way of training, be it calisthenics, be it dumbbells, be it barbells, whatever. You know, Things like running, for instance, as well. If you like to do a lot of five-milers, the problem with doing a five-miler is you tend to be, at some point, two and a half miles away. You know, And all of a sudden, if you get the call, you're two and a half miles away. If you get injured or you're running team training, you know, you've got to have all kinds of safety things in place. And if somebody is injured, there might be two and a half miles where you've got to go get them. So I actually quite like, I don't like it, to be honest, but I, I respect it. I like the multi-stage fitness test for that. You know, the, the, the infamous beep test. It's very easy to arrange um, for logistics. Everybody's in one spot. So if somebody does get injured, you're right there. If, you, if the radio goes or the phone goes, you've got to go, you're right there. You're not in the middle of whatever place you're in. And it's a series of 20-meter sprints that get faster and faster with a sharp turning ball. Now, to me, that sounds a bit like a gunfight. So that's useful. You know, I get guys doing that wearing full gear. I get undercover guys doing it and see what falls off as they're running around, what radios and guns fall out, you know. I take um, 
tips from, say, the US uh, NFL Combine. So you look at things like the three cone drill, which is an excellent test of agility for something for people to look up. You go to YouTube and type in three cone drill. It's a superb, very simple, but very effective agility test for speed and change of direction. And like the beat test, it gives you an actual recordable number. So you can improve on something. You know, it's not kind of a arbitrary kind of, I work for so long, you actually hear the level out of it, you get a time, you know, something to work on. The good old fashioned Tabata drill, four minutes of punishment, superb for this line of work. It's 20 seconds of courage, basically, done eight times. And if you do it properly, as Professor Tabata described in his original treatise, it is phenomenally difficult to do properly. And it's four minutes. And you could do a couple of Tabatas a day. You could do one a day properly. And you've done a fairly honest workout. People might disagree with me on that one. But I would rather spend four minutes doing a hard Tabata than an hour and a half looking at myself in the mirror in the gym. That's, that's, uh, that's very, very hands-on, very, very instructive. But I think also very motivational to the people that think they're time-constrained. Um, another thing that... I think we might want to touch on to motivate some of the community is the community that thinks I am too old to be fit. And by too old, that could be any age. It could be uh, younger. It could be older, but I wonder what's, what's your message uh, to, to, to the people that think, Oh no, I am past it in, in some respects. I completely agree with them. To be quite honest. I think I'm too old for training, but I do it anyway. To be quite honest, I mean, I've still got a few years of operational work left in me, I, I do believe. So I want to make the most of them. So um, as long as you understand your limitations and you're sensible, then I know I'm not doing things now that I was doing when I was 30. Simple as that. you know. Or I, I have to be careful about injuring myself because I am kind of banged up in various capacities. And I've just got to be careful that I don't make anything worse. In fact, I spend a lot, a lot of time in the gym trying to get myself back to zero rather than in the minus numbers that I kind of operated sometime. So I, I spent a lot of time fixing myself more than actually making myself any better, I think, but it seems that way sometimes. But as long as um, you're sensible and you know your limitations, you know what you can and can't do, well, there's got to be a workaround there. You should never be all or nothing. I think the problem with a lot of thinking, and the internet doesn't help with this, everything is so polarized. It's either this or that. And most times it's going to be a combination, isn't it? You know, is it is you know what's the best, this or that? And usually the, the answer is yes, because they kind of they'll both work. You know, um, the thing about any routine for any age or capacity, capability, attributes is it must be maintainable. It, it's the same with these kind of crazy diets that people go on. They may be perfect diets. It may be worked out by a scientist to be the absolute, you know, optimal way of eating. But if it's not maintainable and you stop doing it after a week, it's not going to be as efficient as a diet that may be less perfect, but one that you can actually maintain. Working out is exactly the same, in my opinion. You set yourself unrealistic expectations on all that stuff, then you're going to fall foul of it. It's going to work for a little while. Then all of a sudden, it's going to fade away. You know, you're going to resort to doing maybe nothing. I get a lot of people asking me, well, they say, I've worked it out that I can do four sessions a week. So I'll tell them, you know what? 
make that two. And they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. They go, no, 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 I can do four. I say, yeah, but what's probably going to happen there is something's going to crop up and you're going to miss one. And you're going to feel bad about missing one. You're going to get a negative outcome in your brain. And you're going to feel bad about it. You're going to do three still, but you should have done four. In your mind, you tell yourself I'll do four. And then something else might happen. You might end up missing another one. Now you've only done half of what you originally expected. I say, aim a little bit lower on that. Have better expectations because life gets in the way of a lot of things, as we find out. Aim at doing two. If you get a bit more time, do another one. You've now created a positive outcome in your mind. And you're laughing, aren't you? You've done it. You've done more than you said you were going to do. Okay? That will increase the sustainability of that rather than you set yourself a goal that's too hard to maintain and it's going to stop. I like the emphasis on the positive psychology there. And in, in addition to that, Mick, I'm wondering, you know, taking into account things like recovery, nutrition, e- even well-being, you know, moving into that kind of mental health factor that, that's incorporated in the positive mindset. What, what changes have either you made personally or would you recommend generally as protectors start to age, things that they should be incorporating? For me, I mean, um, you can get into the whole overtraining kind of aspect where you're suppressing your um, central nervous system to the point where essentially you give yourself depression, you know? And I think anybody that's trained a lot over the years has probably experienced some aspects of that. And you actually start going backwards in your training no matter how hard you try, you know? But the, I think the question is, and it's been raised in a few kind of um, in, a, in a few working groups around the world, really, is can you really overtrain, or are you just underresting? That's the thing, you know, because proper high-intensity interval training, for instance, isn't what most people think it is. You can't do that for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It's three minutes, probably, of what pure, proper, high-intensity interval training. It's three minutes of absolute balls out, I'm going to try and kill myself on this exercise bike or whatever. That's real high-intensity training, you know? But you can do that, and you can work to that point as long as you actually allow yourself a rest afterwards to make it worthwhile doing in the first place. Because the exercise you're doing anyway is just the spark. It's just the thing that kicks it all off. It's the rest, it's the nutrition that actually makes the difference, you know? You're just creating a need for the body to change somehow fitter, stronger, more flexible, whatever, and you have to give it the chance. And also you have to give it the raw materials to achieve that. You know, you don't build a house without bricks. So nutrition is extremely important. It's also something that I would never claim to be any kind of expert on whatsoever. I'd definitely refer you to somebody who eats a lot better than I do. Okay. So, you know, eats a lot better and drinks a lot less maybe. So that's not my, my, my game. I mean, on nutrition, one thing I did do um, a while back was I started experimenting with a bit of intermittent fasting. Now, absolutely nothing to do with health, nothing to do with my insulin levels and things like that and all the stuff that the experts will tell you it's for. I did it pure, personally, purely as a discipline type of thing. Um, and I did notice as well that, I mean, if I had suggested that to myself 10 years ago, I would probably attack myself on just, just on principle, you know, not to eat a big breakfast in the morning and not to eat before I go training or something like that. But over the years, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've taken input from a lot of people, a lot of specialist teams, for instance, in the, in, the, in the States that were experimenting with it as well. And I actually found it's very beneficial from a mental point of view 
that I don't start panicking when I start feeling a little bit hungry. Because I don't know about you, but I've worked on jobs and I know when someone's had to skip a meal as you have to, you've got to sometimes, one, two, three meals, you go shopping with somebody that just basically wants to stay on their feet all day in London and you don't get a chance to eat. Uh, and they weigh, you know, 50 kilos and you're weighing 100, 120 kilos. And you need more fuel than them. And after a while, you see people that miss a few meals kind of go to pieces mentally. And only, I know for a fact they're only thinking about their next meal, you know, on surveillance type jobs. You know, you know when people start losing awareness when they start talking about food because we've missed a few meals, that kind of thing. So I did the intermittent fasting thing purely as a discipline thing where if I miss a meal or miss two meals or three meals or a day, that I can still function. I can still go to the, to the, to the gym. I can still take my dogs for walks, things like that. And I feel hungry, but so what? That's it. So what? I love that you brought that up, Mick. I uh, experimented with intermittent fasting myself a while back, having been of the, of the absolute conviction that this is not something I can do. This is not something for somebody like me. I need protein. I need to get those meals in it's regularly. Right. Uh, yeah, of course, but the, the idea that I... It'll be a nitrogen-positive state every two hours and your body will start to eat itself, Yeah, you know? The, the idea that I could go so long without food was, was ridiculous. And, I, and, and at first, I laughed it off. And I think I made the first day to 10 a.m. And I was flat out. I was like, <laughs> no way. You know, but, but slowly, slowly increasing that day on day... And what I found, you hit the nail on the head. It was nothing to do with fitness, but I started to find that not having that reliance on eating at a certain time, but also that my concentration levels increased because I wasn't being distracted by thinking, when's the next meal? Where's it coming from? And, and I am somebody who can get really bad tempered when, or at least that was the old me, when I didn't eat. And I didn't like who that person was. So, so for me, you know, the intermittent fasting, I would recommend it to anyone to, to experiment with and, and see how it yeah. works for them. You know, try it because the benefits that you get from it might not be what you'd anticipated, but could be potentially really beneficial in the life of a protector. Definitely. I just think the, the, the lifestyle, it suits the lifestyle perfectly. If you're in any kind of protection, kind of surveillance, that, that kind of thing. I mean, anybody that's been, you know, in, in the military, in the field, for instance, know that you're not eating regular scheduled meals, bottom line. That's, that's just the way it works out. And everybody's just fine. That's the thing. You're just fine. And I think people get a bit worried when they start to feel a little, what, what would the technical word be? Funny, you know? It's the same, why, why, why do people back off in the gym sometimes just to start feeling a bit strange? But that's where the magic is sometimes. That's where you should be that you've gone past that kind of normality and you're kind of experiencing something now where things are going to change. So people back off in the gym because they start to get into that kind of realm, that zone. And I think as well, when people start getting a bit hungry. And one of the reasons why I kind of embraced it a little bit is because you, when, you, when you're realistic about it, you think, well, probably most of the world has no choice but to do intermittent fasting. They get up before it's light. They go work in the fields or a factory or something. And then... They might nibble on a few things during the day, but they only have one massive meal when they get home for the whole family in the middle of their, their, their dwelling or whatever. It's quite a common thing 
in many, many cultures around the world, and they do just fine. They do hard physical labor all day that would make us cry, and they do just fine. So why are we complaining? Because we skipped a meal, and we feel a little bit lightheaded because your blood sugar is like, are you sure? Come on. I think a lot of it's in the mind. A lot of that is in the mind for sure. And that's why I wanted to play around with it, and I, I feel 100% it is in the mind a lot of that, you know? Well, I don't know if I like that idea, but I like the... I, I don't like it. But I, 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 yeah, I like the idea you know? that it's a string to one's bow. And I think it's really, really important because as you say, your 50 kilo principle and your you know, 100, 120 kilos, someone is going to be more hungry than the other person. Yeah, 50 kilo principle is on a diet, by the way. It's one apple a day because they want to fit into a size six dress, you know? So you're not going to keep up with that. So why bother trying? You know? Absolutely. Well, this is really good. And I really appreciate this topic as one for the, you know, January New Year season, because there's an awful lot of talk of, oh, this year's the year for fitness. Uh, but well, how and now what? And, you know, actual tangible tips and, uh, and advice. This is where it's at. The thing is, if you're in a physical protective role, you have to be physically robust enough to even think about protecting that person. Can you protect yourself first? And if you can't, you've got to be honest about that as well. That if you can't, then there's a workaround to you. You know, I know that I can't survive being hit by a car, so I take a lot of care when I cross the road. Knowing your limitations reveals your actual capabilities far more than wishful thinking ever will. Fantastic sentiment and very stark uh, reminder of people's limitations. I think I think that's a great place to end it on. Um, fantastic. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Um, from John and myself, thank you, Mick, for being such a fantastic guest at the Circuit Magazine podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on. Oh, my, my pleasure completely. Thank you. Well, I feel motivated. A fantastic positive session to start the new year. I especially liked, for example, uh, Mick's approach to fitness realism. Instead of telling yourself you can do four sessions a week, why not do two and condense more into the two? But then if you have time, you've got more uh, you know, possibilities rather than berating yourself for missing one of the four. Um, what, what, did, what did you think of today's session, John? Yeah, I really like Mick's no-nonsense, tough-love approach to this subject. You know, it, it's very much you're accountable, you know, holding yourself up, uh, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, can I do the job? Am I fit for purpose? And understanding what that means to your particular role and not just, you know, focusing on your strengths. It's also looking at your weaknesses. And I, I think that's something uh, at the start of a new year is kind of rolled into the whole New Year's resolution. This is the one time in the year when everybody is asking those questions of themselves. And I think as it pertains to fitness, that's a really good approach. And that no nonsense approach. I mean, Mick also at the very beginning addressed uh, perhaps people who are, uh, you know, visible but untested. Right. And, and also people who focus too much on exercises they enjoy. Uh, we've all seen people on Instagram wearing a suit, but their biceps are about to pop out. Uh, no, no, no harm in that. But you need to be holistic. You need to you need to 
you know, focus on areas you don't enjoy, which I, which I thought was a real uh, realistic message. Um, what about our community? Because we have a broad church. We've got those who are new and uh, those who are experienced. I, I think he brings a good message for those who are experienced and over 50 uh, as, as, as well, John. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, over 50, over, you know, anything. If you're, it's, it's partly mindset and it's partly physical, isn't it? But there was some really good advice that for the changes you can make both in uh, training routines and mentality and approach as you start to age, because, you know, it, it is a fact of life. And the protection industry is quite forgiving. And we, we have a lot of protectors in that older age bracket. And rather than being ambushed by age, it, it's good to have your eyes wide open and to say, you know what, I'm going to take this on. I'm not going to let age dictate and determine, but at the same time, I'm not going to find myself in a broken mess on the floor because I didn't listen to my body and I wasn't looking at the signs. So yeah, some really great advice there for uh, our seasoned uh, colleagues. Absolutely. And I feel it's great for everyone in the industry, not just those dedicating themselves to CP or even EP, it could apply to the whole corporate security spectrum, which I think is a positive note to start the year on. Um, so this year, we've got a lot coming up. Um, I uh, am uh, looking forward very much to the 27th of January, the uh, 7th Annual Executive Security Close Protection Technology Forum in London in person. That's one thing on my radar. Um, what else have we got coming up uh, for the magazine or perhaps uh, for this podcast itself? It all starts all over again from here. It's, uh, it's crazy, right? I was just doing a lot of reflection on 2021, which was a big year for us. And this is the first episode of season two, you know, so we're back and we've got lots of great things planned, lots of uh, exciting things to come up. But I, I think it's worth taking a moment to just have a quick reflection on 2021 and look at all of the things that we did in that time. And we begun the podcast in 2021 and we racked up 50 episodes, which I think was a huge achievement. Um, that that's one of the highlights of 2021 for myself in in addition to you know the the events the events have been fantastic and as you just mentioned you know we're already looking ahead to getting uh the year off to a great start with an in-person event that i recommend everyone who can travel and it's safe to do so get yourself along it'll be great to see all the community there on what remind us of the day palum that's the 27th of January. On the 27th. And that's uh, in London at the Grand Connaught Rooms. Is that right? That That's correct. We're back at the Grand Connaught. Um, we got, we got some great features. Uh, Arna Group is very kindly uh, sponsoring the drinks, um, which is something that everyone is always keen to know about. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm feeling inspired. I think I am going to get myself down the gym or the equivalent. Uh, and... I'm really grateful for Mick uh, for leading us in this New Year's segment. So from John and myself and the whole Circuit Magazine, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Looking forward to seeing you again very soon. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. 
be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.